to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Perez tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who knows, Hamilton goes straight on. This is kind of appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified, a podcast about Formula One by two gentlemen with no business being in this business. I'm Graham Harris. I'm joined once again by Gerald Carter after a two-week hiatus. It is great to see your soft, supple face, Gerald. How the hell are you this evening? I, more so than other weeks, I am phenomenal most importantly, because my illustrious copperheaded co-host is no longer a single man, proposed and is now engaged. So congratulations. I'm overjoyed for you and I'll be a bit surprised that you found someone to love you, uh, but couldn't be happier. Congratulations, my friend. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. It means a lot. I, uh, I've been traveling for the last two weeks on vacation, which was kind of the the trip that this proposal was built around. So uh, to be honest with you, as I sit here, I'm really not even sure what race we're here to talk about. Haven't really absorbed any media. So uh, I'm going to look for you to light the path tonight, buddy. Well, it's good to know that you are as equally as informed as you are on most weekends. So uh, appreciate that. Always glad to have you. Yeah. All right. Well, I will, I will light the way for us. Montreal. Uh, one of my favorites. I think I'm a bit biased because it's in the, uh, North, it's in North America, and I've been to this race, and Canada never disappoints, especially when it's raining, except for maybe the quality of its racing drivers, the, the recent performance of its hockey teams, and its inability to adopt the English language. But wet qu- bit, of a dri- <laughs> bit of a drive by there. <laughs> I figured I'd get my shots in while we can. There's not much on stroll this week, so I, I figured Can- I'd get Canada. it early. Canada jokes are really at this point like kicking a three-legged dog. Like they're getting really pop. They've been overly popular on like F1 podcasts and media for like a little bit too long, <laughs> you know. And it, the only joke you can really make about Canadians is that they like say sorry too much, you know, which is kind of like ah, I don't know. It's like making jokes about a crippled kid. I don't know. That's why you can make fun of them though, because it's like what is really wrong with Canada? You know, it's all it's all pretty light humored. Anything more serious that they had going on might might be a little bit too the, close. The, the main rub I have is the French influence, of course. That's that's basically it. Naturally, though. of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with that being said, wet qualifying this weekend. Uh, our personal favorites open the door for some. Uh, Unusual drivers to to get a step up in the race. Intriguing Q3, I thought, as as different drivers and teams had different strategies between inters and and softs really throughout. But let's be honest, Verstappen 1.3 seconds ahead of second place, which was Hulkenberg. So, I mean, it was never even close at the front of the grid. But Hulkenberg shocking the field only to have it be undone, unfortunately, taking a three-place grid penalty and and because of uh, a failure to slow in the red flag due to Piastri. So that bumped him down to fifth and and started his decline down the grid a bit earlier than than scheduled. Meanwhile, Alonzo, Hamilton, Russell rounding out the, the front four. Um, and that really set up some exciting battles up and down the grid, again, except for first place. Uh, you had the, the battle of the world champions 
up front with Alonzo and Hamilton. But ultimately, the race finished Verstappen, Alonzo, Hamilton as it started. And then uh, maybe a bit surprisingly, the Ferraris with a strong weekend, high point scores, Leclerc in fourth, Sainz in fifth. Really a great recovery drive from what was a disappointing qualifying. Um, And Perez, decent recovery drive, but still disappointing, finishing in sixth. Albon, the shocker of the weekend, driver of the day, finishing seventh. And much to Ocon's frustration, spending many laps behind him, ultimately finishing eighth. And then you have the the local man himself with his, his named grandstand signs, Pippin Botas right at the line to finish ninth and Botas 10th. Ocon talking talking about how he would be competing with Max Verstappen if he had equal equipment. I'm going to tell you what. I'll tell you who wouldn't have sat behind Alex Albon for 10 laps is Max Verstappen in in an Alpine. So you can can miss me with that noise. You're not buying it, huh? No, not even a little. Yeah. Well, so other than your your urgency to take a jab at Ocon and and the French team once again, what was your favorite parts of the weekend? Oh man, uh, you know it was generally good to see Hamilton asserting himself. You know this isn't like a new trend, but like, hey man, availability on the track is sometimes the best ability. You could argue George Russell's maybe faster over a single lap, but like. The car seems to be coming to Hamilton a little bit, and he's just kind of settling into his old ways, albeit in a different different relative grid position. But, like, he's just kind of one of those guys that just, like, wears you down with his consistency, his inability to make mistakes that, uh, you know, shoot himself in the foot. And, uh, you know, like, honestly, like, there just isn't a better podium, you know, for F1. It's like... It's like having the Dallas Cowboys play the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl, man. It's like having those three guys on the podium between Max and Alonzo and Hamilton, like that's just a dream podium. And they, you know, say what you want about Max, but like Alonzo and Hamilton in particular seem to have a lot of mutual respect for one another, or at least they, you know, even jabbing a little bit at each other in the, the post presser. So um, I just, I like to see Lewis. I want to see Lewis get back in the fight because he adds another dimension to the driver dynamic on the podium that I don't think anybody else can really bring. Each of those guys between Verstappen, Alonzo, and Hamilton is all very different and will say very different things, and it's cool to have them all up there. I honestly, like, I wouldn't mind if that was every podium for the next, for, like, the rest of the races of the year, but just in different orders, you know? Like, if we could just have those three guys going at it, that would be a dream to me. Um Especially if it tightened up, right? I mean, even if you well, just yeah. have Alonzo and Hamilton wheel to wheel every weekend, that's going to be compelling. But obviously, if you had all, all three in there, but you're right, it's a good mix of personalities, but who all have a high level of respect for each other, but also hints of animosity at different times, yes. which leads yes. to the even more intrigue. And and your points on Hamilton, I think you're right. I mean, last season, we talked a lot about how he's probably doing a lot of the exploration and testing of the new car and and so probably bearing the brunt of the the a lower quality car and i think you just saw given russell's experience in a back marker he was probably more comfort comfortable in a difficult to drive car and oh, then yeah. now that the car is you know stabilizing and moving in the right direction you just see that that consistency pedigree to, takes over exactly akin to verstappen and alonzo where there's just there's no mistakes and and you still see some mistakes here from Russell. And I think largely it was the fact that like 
look, look or Verstappen had a similar moment where he took too much curb and and could have lost it there. I think the difference was in just the car control after the fact, probably stepping off the throttle a little bit, right? Not overcorrecting, and and Russell looked a little bit more more panicked um, and sent it into the wall. And I was curious, what did you think of like the perfectly memeable moment of Toto like reenacting the the sporadic like steering wheel motion? Oh, that the, was perfect. <laughs> from the pit. That's- Dude, that's just one of those moments where you're like, this is why everybody has a camera on them. Because, like, you just, you got to have, capture these little, just, like, candid reactions in the moment. And Toto nailed it, too, to his credit. Like, he knew exactly what was going on um, with Alonzo faking the faking the uh, pit lane, uh, what do they call that, uh, impeding on the pit lane exit. Um, so, I, can I also, just in terms of favorite moments from the race, I I, I want to make sure this gets some shine, and I'll say it before we get to McLaren specifically. You you love to see, like, the dive on your own teammate from way back. And Norris went for a big one. Like, I, I, I don't think we've had a teammate that aggressive of a teammate overtake at any other point this season. And he went from way deep and made it stick, dude, and made Piastri look like a fool. And it was clean, too, like 100% clean. It, it was like that, you know, it's like that, like, rare coveted big hit in the NFL now that's still legal. You know, you're like, I can't believe he tried that in practice on his own teammate and it was legal. It's like, oh, man, that took some stones. Um, I, I, Lando was very racy this weekend. Obviously, that car is still a dumpster, but like he, his racecraft was like 10 out of 10. Well, and I think, yes, love the teammate battles, asserting a bit of dominance there, but really both of the McLaren drivers stepping up while, while Piastri had the crash in, in qualifying and, and probably was not quite as aggressive. I mean, he had a number of great passes kind of at the start of laps into turn two and, and, moved up the field that way. So both drivers looking great. And overall, I mean, you got to give the props to, to Piastri. I mean, I, I would claim, I would say easily the the best rookie driver at, at this moment. And I mean, the fact that he's even holding court that closely with Norris, while the other rookies are not even in the same universe as their teammates, uh, I, I think says a lot, which I'll be the first to say was a little critical of him during testing and a lot of spins, but He's gotten the car under him, and and you can see the racecraft there. So uh, good on him, dude. Devries's race race. Speaking of rookies, Devries's racecraft is like me. My first week of owning the F one video game. Like he <laughs> he's like he's going for shit that just ain't there. Like it's <laughs> it's not good. Uh, so yes, Piastri is head and shoulders the best rookie in the grid. Well, how about you? What was your face uh, favorite race moment? I mean, it's not going to surprise you at all, but it, it's got to be last lap stroll on Botas oh. down to the line. I mean, hometown epic. hero, hometown oh. man delivers <laughs> for his two points. Uh, he got him off their feet. <laughs> that's right. He gave him. He finally gave him something to cheer about. Um, and look, I, I think obviously qualifying the difference of strategies, and I think in particular the the sort of relative effectiveness of, of different strategies and how it kind of came down to the driver of whether a soft or an inner strategy could work. And so I thought obviously the qualifying was great. And, and of course, uh, Norris, Norris Piastri battle was phenomenal. Um, yeah. So I think those were, I think those are my favorites. You, you know, I love a good overtake at the line, but we, we can't like let that overshadow the fact that 
Stroll's race, basically his whole weekend was complete ass. Like, <laughs> especially in a like he's just getting absolutely murdered by his teammate. Like, completely murdered in all facets of racing. And this is like <clears throat> following the week where his father was basically promising a double podium for Aston Martin and that the hometown boy was going to benefit from all the upgrades and that, like, the gap in previous races was all circumstantial. It's like, dude, not a bit of that is circumstantial. It is 100% just the fact that he's getting his doors blown off. Well, then Mike Crack and his race engineer and everybody is, like, praising him for his, like, what, four-position recovery dude, drive? And it's like, really? What are that's, we talking about? That's the standard at this point? Dude, I'm – I, I like – this all is in the same vein of this conversation of like, what is Fernando Alonso doing? Why is he so nice to to, to Lance Stroll? I, it's Lawrence has got to have threatened everyone with like, like their lives. I mean, there, there's just no other rational reason why human beings would talk so glowingly about somebody who's getting, again, their doors blown off. Like, is there a bigger gap across the whole of the season between two teammates right now? I don't think so. Albon Sargent. Yeah, but I mean, but let me just. But it's not as prominent because of points, right? Like, there's certainly not one that has greater uh, consequences. Right. And and, and Stroll's keeping the car on track. Like, Sargent's, like, not even finishing half the races. Some reasons are his fault and some aren't. But Stroll's on the track all the races, and his pace is just not good. So, like. I don't know, man. It's hard to hide from the facts. And it's just kind of one of those things that every time anybody in green talks about it, you just hear like a revisionist history story. It's like listening to Trump talk at a campaign speech. Say, it's like, like listening to any kind of mainstream what? media where like, is that reality? Or like, this is yeah, just some skewed like, view of like, if we just yeah. don't talk about it, it didn't actually happen. Right. Or if we just talk about it in the complete opposite way, then the opposite's no longer true. And it's just like, dude, like, Somehow you said that, and you got a room full of people to shake their heads in agreement, but, like, it's total bullshit. Like, it's like, oh, man. Hey, but at anyway. least he was in the points this weekend, so two, count it. I just, I, you can't celebrate points when your teammate's second. It's just like. Every weekend. Yeah, every weekend. Like, he, Stroll's benchmark should be top fives. Like, that's. That's success for him, and he's not even sniffing that. Like, he's just another guy, man. Well, I think that was, again, you talked about it last time in the weekend of the the differentiating between sort of the top-class drivers, right? And I think this was another interesting weekend where you saw a big disparity between teammates that is not surprising, right? Verstappen versus Perez, Hamilton versus Russell, Alonso versus, uh, versus Stroll, and then arguably a team where it's really hard to differentiate who's actually better over the course of a season being McLaren signs than finishing back to back. And so I think you see a lot of disparity between the teams in this race in particular, maybe more than most of the races this season. I have a theory about the success of that. I'll, I'll save it before we get to ask. All right. Yeah. Let's team, uh, team let's, discussion. let's yeah. get down the order a little bit, but let's take a bit of a, a sidebar. We haven't really talked about, well, last weekend we talked extensively about <laughs> the PGA versus live golf. So we took a, a total <laughs> left turn, but maybe let's take a, a lane change into some of the other uh, racing classes that, uh, that happened this week. And I know you're eager to, to cover off on some quick topics. So give me the rundown of what happened elsewhere in the world from IndyCar to Le Mans. Yeah. I, so I, I'm not into IndyCar yet. I'm, I'm flirting. We're kind of, you know, sending each other notes across the classroom. Mm. 
uh, at the current moment. Do they um, like you? Yes or no? Yeah, unclear. I think, uh, you know, I the the biggest drawback at this point is like the grid is just too big, and I can't. I I'm a bit daunted by the idea of getting to know the drivers because there seem to be so many of them. But they were at Road America, which is a uh, probably the closest thing to the Nuremberg Ring in the United States. You know, kind of as a track layout, uh, very long, a lot of straightaways, some sharp chicanes, kind of a lot of randomness, kind of meanders through the countryside a little bit. Uh, and honestly, dude, it was extremely entertaining. I mean, like the one thing you can be guaranteed in IndyCar is that there's going to be overtaking in the last five laps. Like there's going to be like a car to car competition for the race win late stages of the race. No doubt about it. Um, Colton Hurdle led most of the road America race and then basically got fucked by his pit wall. Uh, and then ended up as basically a lame duck on old tires at the end of the race and ended up fifth. Uh, Alex Pillow is dominating the championship right now. Got another win at Road America. The non-F1 race I want to talk about the most, though, is actually Le Mans. So did you did you catch any of the Le Mans coverage? I guess it was uh, two weeks ago now. It was while I was on vacation. I did not, unfortunately. Well, you, you know about now. 24 hours of Le Mans, right? Yes, sir. Like what it is. So most famous endurance race in the world, basis of Ford versus Ferrari. Ferrari. One, and now there's like multiple car classes in Le Mans and the hypercar is like the fastest one, which is like if you want to win Le Mans, right, you have to win the hypercar class. Ferrari won uh, the hypercar class of Le Mans for the first time in over 50 years uh, and really took it to Toyota, who was kind of like the stalwart in the room for basically the last decade. And, uh, and so that was super impressive. Even more impressive was that Hendrick Motorsports sent a NASCAR concept car, which is basically a supercharged V8 of a Chevy Camaro out on track, and it blew the doors off of the... I can't remember what race class it was, but basically it's like all the the class all the Porsches race in. Dude, it was like, it was like Ford versus Ferrari where they basically just put like a monster truck engine in a small car, tried to figure out how to make it stop, and then it just blew everybody's doors off on the straight and had no downforce. It was awesome. Massive engine. People were taking videos of, like, how loud it was. you like, people are debating. Like, literally, all anybody wanted to talk about at Le Mans was how loud the NASCAR car was, like, as it was going by. And, like, people were talking about making Formula One all electric. Like, get the hell out of here with that shit, man. Like, People always are going to want the noise. Like, bring the effing noise. And I I thought it was so cool. And honestly, what's wild is that this NASCAR car would have actually placed, like, seriously competitively, but it had, like, a minor, like, fuel line issue and blew up its gearbox, like, halfway in. Uh, it They, like, almost legitimately had a great performance uh, in their first year. So a little bit of American muscle kind of showing out at Le Mans and, like, this kind of test garage Cool story if you want to go look it up. It's worth watching a couple of videos on how it went down. So Everybody loves the rumble. God bless American muscle. Yeah, man. Endurance racing is also just such a fascinating category. You know, like it just demands something completely different of teams than what we're used to seeing in even F1. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated. I don't, I don't, I, I have a desire to, to stretch my race fandom into another classification and I just don't know which one it should be. Like, is it IndyCar? Is it endurance racing? Is it dirt? Is it NASCAR? I don't know, man. Like, I'm kind of meandering, but I feel like I need a second a second child. Need to diversify a little bit? 
I think the portfolio is getting a little bit concentrated, if I'm totally <laughs> honest. Yeah. Um, so anyway, have well, you ever have you ever had interest in trying to like get into another spec of racing as a fan? Well, I started watching kart racing because my uncle was, and by kart, I mean like the equivalent of IndyCar at the time when both of them existed because he was a member of the pit crew in the Andretti race team. So, oh, yeah. um, like Christian Fedipaldi at the time on his pick. Yeah. So that's where I, I originally started. And, and I think if beyond that, I mean, I have to say my other favorite would just be the rally cross. I mean, that shit is just huh. so next level. Otherwise it's gotta be uh MotoGP. I mean, in terms of just badass racecraft and yeah. just wheel to wheel racing, it doesn't get any cooler than, than MotoGP. I mean, to be, millimeters away from your competitor to be able to like just touch knees with them is is really cool so i I think those would be my those would be my two next picks otherwise other than that it's the sort of like the drift competitions that's my other my other love is just watching videos of those people try to kind of top each other do you think that the margin of error is lower in rallycross than any other series because i mean yeah you don't really have any like track control you don't have any runoff you don't have i mean you have literally the eight feet of dirt track and that's it. And you're dealing with way more extreme camber cambering of the turns. You have jumps. They run out. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, very like dynamic surfaces. So yeah, I mean, I think that's gotta be the most like uncontrollable kind of medium for sure. I've always been totally wild by rally cross man. And even like back in the day when people would stand right next to turns and you're just like, dude, you're one understeer away from just being plowed and dead. Like, <laughs> like yeah, those no people questions are nuts. asked. Yeah, they're yeah, insane. It's just like, whoa. The um, one I've never understood quite as much that um, that like Signs and his dad competed in was like the the sort of endurance off road kind of racing. Uh-huh. Now, first off, those trucks seem so badass with the suspensions that they have, um, but it just seems like kind of a weird, kind of a weird setup. Of just you're I, out there kind of totally on your own and it seems very like Wild West, kind of no restrictions. You can kind of go wherever you want. It's just a very different, a very different kind of uh, class. All right. Well, we got to get out there, man. There's a whole world of world of racing there we're not experiencing. I know. Hopefully we've planted I, some seeds. Yeah. And I, I want to, to your point, getting out there, I want to attend more races in person, but it's just not economically feasible, especially now that I'm getting married to go to more F1 races or probably even any more at any point in my future. So I want to find like a good, like if, if there's like a good amateur dirt track series, like I could just show up at on a Thursday night, like, wouldn't that be sick? Like in your, like, you know? So when, when me and John, we went to West Virginia, right. And we're, we're eating that cookout. Actually, we're eating cookout at the gas station next door to the cookout hanging out. Right. And, and the sun's kind of setting in this small little West Virginia town. And we see this truck pull up with a trailer and it has kind of like an old stock car body filling up. And we're like, all right, well, this guy's filling up his car right here. Like, let's just follow this guy. Well, Friday night we ended oh, wait, up following. Wait, wait. You didn't. You didn't talk to him. You just followed him. That's yeah. like the most Gerald Carter thing I've ever heard in my. Well, we didn't life. like. We were like finishing <laughs> eating, and we were like, "Oh shit, this is the going no- down!" Like, we got to go norm- now. The normal human thing would be to walk out and just like ask him about his interests and what he was up to. Fuck that. We going totally cool. No, you guys literally stalked him like you were going to murder him and bury the body. Yep, that's perfect. 
Okay. Yep. So we followed him to this dirt track in the middle of the country. And it was like <laughs> the old school, like dirt, mud, like stock car races. Oh, yeah. And then there was like the free form classes. And that was the shit. Like there was a point where somebody got pissed at another driver and he like, tr- they like tried to run him over in the infield. And then like all his cousins came and like attacked him off the track. Like, it was like Jerry Springer and NASCAR combined. It was great. That's the that's the series that like Tony Stewart killed killed that guy, right? Like isn't that the oh, that I don't happened know about all that? Have you not heard about that? No. Dude. Well, you know who Tony Stewart is, yeah, right? Yeah. Like the yeah, the NASCAR. Yeah. So I think in retirement he does like a dirt series like that, uh, kind of on his leisure time or whatever, just kind of as like a swan song retirement enjoyment thing. There was one of the, these controversies like within the last five years where like a guy got in a wreck, got out of his car, was angry. It was unclear whether he was trying to walk off the track. Kind of one of those like not sure what his motives were. There was a dirt cloud. And then basically on the next lap, Tony Stewart hit him and killed him. Like not intentionally. He didn't see him. It was dark. But like a guy died. Yeah, It was like, oh, my God. Like th- those racing series are still sometimes you get lost in the sauce of like F1 safety our era of fan really doesn't believe it's possible for a driver to die because we haven't seen it. But like, dude, those lower spec series, especially the local dirt track stuff, is still totally the wild. Oh, and this was like, just dudes coming in out, yeah. the, out the countryside it, with like, especially when it was like the random car class where it wasn't like there was no like requirements. It was just like a dude in a Civic and a guy in like this car. Yeah. But <clears throat> this guy like had legitimate road rage and like, they they came to blows and so yeah it was that's awesome but my favorite moment was this one car like lost its tire so it did like the last five laps on its rim and it was just slinging like the hard packed clay up into the air as it was like going through the turns yeah fuck all the safety that was the the birthplace of the birthplace of nascar so all right i guess we gotta talk about f1 yeah fucking f1 all right, let's get into it. Uh, let's jump to the teams now. Um, let's start with Red Bull. Pretty much a carbon copy of last week. Red Verstappen dominating, start to finish through qualifying, and Perez poor qualifying, disappointing recovery drive. Um, but Verstappen only finished 10 seconds ahead of Alonso, which prompted a lot of questions of, has the gap been closed, um, or is it closing rapidly at least? Um, as I said, Perez qualified 12th, 11th last weekend. Uh, so his struggles in qualifying continue. And unfortunately he got caught up in the DS DRS train behind Hulkenberg, uh, and, and really couldn't clear any car of the other top four teams to finish sixth. Uh, Perez dropped nine points to Alonso now just nine points ahead and only 24 on Hamilton, Hamilton, both of whom finished ahead of him. So with that, should we consider it a win for Perez that at least he didn't crash in qualifying? Has the bar that appreciate, low? Appreciate the tongue-in-cheek question. I, uh, but also F you. Uh, okay, look, I'll confess. My Perez worry meter has gone from, in this week, not worried really at all to slightly worried. Slightly? Okay. Hmm. We're up to slight. We're up to slightly. Like is, I'm this not, a, is this an orange or is this a, a, a dark yellow? Uh... What's worse? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. You were, you were <laughs> I don't a, know my color were, scale that well. You don't know your terrorism <laughs> alert scale? Maybe like a teal blue. I don't know where that puts so me. Green uh, into yellow. You're in the yellow yeah. territory. Yeah, we're in like, you know, I peed. I'm not very hydrated, like a dark yellow. Mm. Actually, no, maybe like a light yellow. Yeah. Um, 
I look, he if he continues to repeat performances like this, he's not going to look a whole lot different from Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon when they lost their seat. Like that's just kind of the tough reality of it is like qualifying out of position, you know, the normal pace of that Red Bull is not the last seven races and putting the gap on the field that that's been putting. It's more what it is now, which is like at at par or slightly better than the front cars. And if he can't put together consistent top five finishes with that relative car performance, it's going to start to make him look bad. And we might end up in a place later in the season where we say the only reason Perez looked good early in the year is because the car was that much better. Like, you know, like that's a very possible future storyline. So I don't want that to happen. But, um, you know, the more weekends like this Perez piles up, Danny Ricks is going to be sitting there looking at shops, man. There is no doubt about it. And, He's just pumping in simulator data, and I'm sure that they are probably already starting to have internal discussions and debates at Red Bull about whether his driving style suits this car design better. I Like, it's only going to get louder if Perez keeps clowning around and qualifying and then, you know, is slightly lower on race pace and out of position. Like, it's just not good, I, you know. Now I just want Perez to do better so that we don't have to see Danny Rick back in the car by default. I kind of I kind of want that, though. Like, part of me wants to see the chaos. He should not like, be rewarded. That's all. I, that's my whole belief. Yeah, but dude, what what do you what do you mean? Like, because he because he got to McLaren and it wasn't a good fit. Like. He's not. What is? How do you? How can you possibly say that he shouldn't be rewarded? Like, it's not like he murdered a guy like. He's not Roman Grosjean. Like, if he was Grosjean and he was out there just, like, completely nuking guys on the track, sure. But, like, no, he just had a bad car fit. Like, I, look, I'm not abandoning Perez by any stretch of the imagination. It may sound like I am. I'm just plotting all future scenarios, and I'm just, it, you know, this clearly is not a sustainable level of performance for Checo. And I don't know what happened. Like, it's not even, like... His race pace in clear air is still also much worse. Like, yeah, he, it's like every facet he, is not good. It's he, qualifying, he, it's racecraft. Yeah, it's... He couldn't keep up with the Ferraris on mediums when he had fresh tires and they were on old mediums. Like, it had nothing to do with his track position. Like, it's not good. Like, he, I don't know fair, what He happened. was on hards, but even so, yeah, but even they as they hards. aged, yeah. Yeah, even after he rubbered them in and the Ferraris were 20 plus laps in their mediums at that point, he still didn't have their pace. So, I, I don't know, man. I I don't know if something changed with that car. You can't imagine that his confidence just dropped off all of a sudden. Like, he's done well enough. Like I mean, outside of qualifying, I don't think confidence would be the factor, right? Like, in qualifying, sure. In wet, you don't want to crash. You can't have that happen. Like, fine, maybe. But in race, in a dry race, I'm not sure what your excuse would be, right? You're always within a reasonable limit managing tires at that point. And so. if it... And and if it boils down to track fit, then he's screwed. Right, Looking over the better. next four races, it's not getting any easier. Like we don't go back to a street circuit for a while. So I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. He's it could in for get a ugly. long summer. It could get ugly. More like hot seat um, summer. Yep it could it could definitely we're in that territory where it's very possible he could fix it, but it could also get ugly. So I mean, so. look, what did we say? We have four more races. Before the summer break, that is a logical time in which you would make a driver change if you're not satisfied with performance. What is Paris? You think that's a possibility? I, and if so, no, what does Paris have to do over the I, next four races? 
I think it'd have to get catastrophically bad for them to consider moving him before the end of the season. Like mm. I'm talking, he'd have to like score no points for the next four races. Like basically score no points between now and the summer break. Like wreck the car a bunch. More Q one yeah. exits, not climb up. Yeah. yeah, that which I just don't find that very likely. Um, but yeah, if he keeps sitting here at fifth, sixth place consistently, even that's that's like get you to the end of the season. You're saying, but potentially not beyond. Yeah, I mean, his contract is out to 2020. I mean, he's got next year under contract too, but if he's not performing and the gap team performance-wise is closing and Red Bull realizes they've got a weaker second driver than the next three to, uh, two teams, he's clearly better than Lance Stroll. I I mean, I don't think they're going to – I think they'll buy him out for his last year of his contract before they, you know, essentially go into a season at parity with car performance and a weak, weaker second driver. Well, in 2024, which is when Perez's contract is officially up, is going is going to be a nuts year for drivers. For drivers, where you have Perez, Leclerc, Sainz, Ocon, Piastri, and potentially it's a little bit unclear again, given the opaqueness of the contracts, but potentially Albon, Ocon, Alonso, and Gasly as well, all having yeah. their contracts. So basically, half the grid in 2024. So that will be a that'll be a fun one. Well, you made the case in the show notes. The case for Albon is certainly getting stronger. Um, and he's, he's do- doing more to obviously earn that seat than like a Danny Rick is obviously who's doing nothing. Um, they have the, si- like, they have the simulator data. So, I mean, maybe yeah. they're seeing something mind blowing and, and it's worth it. But if, if it's not a mid season change, I have a hard time seeing how Albon is not a better, a better choice at this point. So, Yeah. So I don't, I don't disagree with that. So we're talking about Perez maybe not even making it to the end of the season. Do you think there's any way in hell that he hangs on to second place in the the drivers' championship or even third? Uh, I wouldn't bet on it right now. I mean, especially given the pace of uh, seemingly Aston Martin's car development and Mercedes as well. I I don't see how Perez holds off both Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, one of them will get him, maybe both, uh, at this rate. So I don't think either of the Ferrari drivers will get him, but like. Uh, cause they're too far back, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I have, don't like his chances to have your constructor potentially win by a historic margin and you get fourth. That is, is pretty shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's a sustainable strategy for Red Bull as a team to have two drivers that have that kind of distance between them. But again, it comes back to like, it's the cursed second seat. Like, what do you do? Um, Danny Rick is kind of the only guy. I mean, if you look at their history of second drivers, he was the second driver that didn't want to be a second driver, and that's kind of why he left. But he's also the only guy that they had that actually, like, worked. And, again, that was a different era, different car, different everything. But like Different Max, even, arguably. Different Max, for sure. But, like, I don't know, man. I... Yes, Albon is earning a spot, but he's also like I don't know if 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 th- if this much of relative perform- teammate performance comes down to driving style, if 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 it's truly that much down to driving style, then maybe going back to Albon would only yield more of the same. I don't I know. I mean, Albon had great performances. He just unfortunately got tangled up with a little with Hamilton a few too many times, and well, and was the worst for it. So I mean, and he 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 couldn't qualify himself into a good grade position either. Typically, so it was kind of that. Cl- and then he would force himself to work through the field, and then random stuff would happen to him. So it's like, 
Yeah, I don't know what they got to do to get a guy. I, well, Jesus, dude, what if they could snag Lando from McLaren? Oh, dude, that would be that would make Red Bull just untouchable. But that's a 2025 thing, I think, until his contract is. So now you're having to. I mean, I guess McLaren's not been one to not buy out somebody's contract. So I guess, or I guess, if Red Bull's yeah. right in the check, but that's a. Uh, well, that's a costly measure. So yeah, I don't know how you make payroll in that scenario because you know you got to fund Max's private jet, and then uh, well, you know they're not in the cost cap, so I guess you can, as long as uh, Oracle keeps footing the bill, they're uh, they're good to go. Well, that's true. So drivers aside, Red Bull Verstappen only finishing ten seconds ahead, whereas previously, I mean, you're talking thirty plus seconds, and sure there was a safety car, but it came very early in the race. Uh, do you think that that's indicative of the fact that the the team is losing ground to the rivals, or was that just some some very comfortable pace management by Verstappen? I mean, I think they're. I think that the dispersion between the top teams is reverting back towards the mean, which was never Red Bull winning by forty seconds and lapping every car on the grid. Like, I, you know, I think what's happening is we got too used to kind of the outlier performance scenario. I don't even think Red Bull expected to be that far ahead. Like you've heard several times Christian Horner kind of saying at different points in the season, like we've kind of been wondering where everybody else is. Like, I think they're kind of just catching up to the mean. Um, I mean, in reality though, dude, like a 15 second net perf- like win is still a pretty large margin of <laughs> victory. But it's good so, to see. I mean, it's good to see as you, yeah, as, as you saw different concepts, it. right? You see the convergence of the concepts. You had the floor reveals. Yeah, and so I liked it. Hopefully over the course, by the end of this season, we kind of get what we thought we were going to get this season, given Mercedes like rapid development and, and closing the gap to Red Bull. So let's just Agreed. hope there's not some major step change again that, that everybody sort of falls by the fall, falls by the wayside again. A- Aston has clearly exceeded everyone's expectations for their pace of development. Uh, Mercedes seems to have now gotten themselves in line with everybody's expectations for their pace of development and that they've now made this car more predictable to understand and they can start kind of iterating a little bit. Faster. Now we're just, so. now we're just waiting on Ferrari per usual. Yeah. Well, keep waiting. <laughs> yeah. Um, hold your breath. Well, so last question on, on Red Bull, then we'll move ahead, which it feels like we've, we've beaten this topic to death, given how uneventful the, <laughs> the relative storyline for Red Bull is, but Verstappen sounding very comfortable on team radio. I mean, almost like he's making a cappuccino in the car. He, he, we talked about him sort of hitting the same sausage car that Russell did only to sort of laugh it off to say, Oh, almost ended up in the wall on that one. I mean, you think he's getting, you think he's getting too comfortable. Do you think it's boring for him at this point? And, and is he just going to be so bored that he, that he leaves the sport? Can I just first highlight the fact that in your attempt to say sausage curb, you said sausage car. (laughs) (laughs) perfect thanks for the the accountability graham yeah um i sometimes get a little bit tired of like how laissez-faire max can seem to be not only about like stuff like that when he's out in front like oh that was you know like a boring race or whatever but it, how laissez-faire he seems to be about his own legacy in terms of, like, are you getting bored with winning championships, too? You know, like, the, the whole sport is kind of becoming less interesting to him overall. I, I, don't, I don't really get that, to be totally honest with you. Like, how, how can you be bored with something that basically has been, like, the investment of the whole of your entire life? Like, 
have you now magically discovered some other way to define success for yourself? Or is it one of those things where like you so over-invested in it that now it's kind of like, you know, you've been bitten by the hand that you've, you, you're biting the hand that fed you kind of thing. Like, I, I don't know if I really, I don't want to necessarily psychoanalyze Max, but maybe let's do it. I don't know. I, what's your read on it? I mean, I think he's just always been more moderated in terms of what his, his aspiration has been in the sense that like he wanted to be the best. He wanted to be the world champion. And so I think it's less around like racking up repetitive wins and knowing I'm world champion. I'm a multi-world champion. Now I want to go be the best in something else. Right. And so I think he just has a diversity of interests and I think is also not, not tied so much of his identity up into that. Right. I mean, you heard it uh, and you saw it in the change of his demeanor of like he won his one championship and it was like the weight of the world was off his shoulder and he was much more calm and less like critical of the team at different times. And, and so, you know, he's even talked this season as they tried to institute various changes and try different things where he's like, yeah, if this shit gets too crazy, like I'll just go do something else. And so I think he knows where he stands. I think he knows he's a freaking machine I think he knows he's dominant and maybe it's just not a thing where four versus six versus eight means that much to him. I mean, it sounds like he's pretty grounded in the sense that, you know, he's still very close with his like family and friends and that's, what's important to him. He doesn't really have this like public persona. He doesn't wear like crazy fancy clothes. He just wears jeans and a freaking Red Bull shirt. So it just seems like he's a bit more maybe grounded and not caught up in all of that. And it might do due to the fact that he grew up with a dad who was in racing. And so while it's important, it's almost like this is just like an everyday thing. And so maybe he doesn't see that as being that much of like a pinnacle differentiator. Yeah. I mean, I also though, like if you care about being the best to me, being the best is beating Michael Schumacher. That's how everybody defines greatness in the sport is how many world driver's championships have you won in your career? Like, you know, it's the mark of a dynasty is not just winning a championship, but doing it consistently for the longest. Some people say Senna was the greatest and Max now has as many wins as Senna. So, you know, like it's hard across generations and yeah, but Senna is Senna is trapped up in the unknown of what could have been. And people have always been fascinated by that. Um, but he's the only driver that that really applies to. Like, no one makes a case for Alan Prost against Michael Schumacher because of his driving style. Like, you know, um, and he was equally, if not more successful than Senna and on the same trajectory. So it's like, I, I don't know. I So the question, I guess, is if, if, if he gets to, what, 2028 when his contract's up and at that point he only has six or seven, do you think he'll be compelled to re-sign or he says... My contract's up. I feel good with where I'm at. I'm gonna go well, do. I'm gonna go do Le Mans, and I'm gonna go do endurance racing with it, with Alonzo. If his attitude was that he doesn't really care about that now, I don't see why he would at some point in the future. I guess I just don't understand why. Like, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe he just has more diversified interests than I give him credit for. But I, I, that's just not the way that like the likes of Alonzo and Lewis Hamilton think, right? Like they, those guys are all in their career were most concerned about, like can I line myself up career wise to basically have a car that's going to give me a shot at it every year so that I have a chance to like break all time records. 
Well, I think Verstappen also was like, they're so young, so early, found success pretty early, has won championships now consistently. So did Alonso and Hamilton. I mean, but Verstappen's about to pass Alonso already at a, you know, a younger age. And so I just wonder if he, and, and I think they're just different in the sense that like Alonso and Hamilton are still in the sport and so fanatical about it. Whereas Verstappen has already said he's not going to be here that long. And so I think it's just a different, different mentality I, and like a different value that they place on. But maybe as Verstappen gets closer and closer, he says, well, why the hell not stay for three more years well, and, and take, you know, take the title or take Here's the my theory. I think he's actually full of shit. And I think in the next two years, if somebody challenges him and he gets knocked off the pedestal for a season, it's going to, he's going to strike a different tone. I think if he loses the world driver's championship, like he's not going to lose it this year, obviously, but like maybe next year to like Alonzo or Hamilton, I I think he's going to change his team. Which I kind of hope so, because I think Me you're too. right. He could come back even more aggressive than the likes of Hamilton sort of losing and wanting to come battle back, which is fascinating to watch right now. And so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that either. So yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. I think it also might be, and you notice this from all of like, if you listen to those kind of compilations of driver radios after the race, you can tell all the drivers who have like sports psychologists Right. Because it wasn't a it wasn't a great race, but they're like saying all the right things back to the team. But really, you can tell they're just saying it to themselves like Gasly this week. of You know, it's just not falling into place for us, but we're going to keep working and 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 we'll come back. And, and eventually, you know, it'll it'll come to us. We just got to keep pressing. And I think you kind of see the same thing. And so that might be a, a technique just for Max of, you know, staying composed and calm and, and pretty comfortable with it. But I do think winning some checking that list and like being on the list of championship winners was probably the the main mark that he was shooting for. And at this point is, is pretty comfortable with where he's at. And if he wins two, three, and, and that's kind of it, I don't think he's going to feel the need like Alonzo where he has to stay in the sport until his forties to prove something. I think there's something to be said about the psychology thing you're pointing at. Cause like, you know, Brooks Kepko has got five majors in golf now, which is the most that of any like active player other than Phil. And he had this reputation, especially early in his career of kind of being like, sounding like he was too cool for golf, you know, and that he like actually didn't care that much. And some of it was maybe actually him just creating some cognitive dissonance between himself and his own performance in big moments to keep himself more calm. You, you, you may be onto something there. Yeah. Like um, if you're so caught up in how you're perceived and, and your reputation and being the best, like what does that mean when you're trying to have to, we have yeah. to put in that one lap in qualifying and you're so yeah, you strung out it. versus you overthink it. whatever, yeah. like, it is what it is. You know, it's just a different mentality going into that. A little bit of like, a, I'm, you can't kill me. I'm already dead kind of on the he's inside. Like, he's like, I'm not even going to be here anyway. Like what, what's one right. more? It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So should we call the podcast at that now that we've talked about Red Bull for 45 minutes? Yeah, let's be really uh, sorry. I'm not helping with uh, our brevity tonight. So maybe we'll just be super tactical about which ones we cherry. Yeah, or we'll just go through the rest of the talk. Uh, maybe we'll spend two hours. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, all right. Well, let's move to Mercedes then. So it looked like they were on track for another great team finish, putting another dagger in the the bipolar uh, Aston Martin performances. Third and fourth starting on uh, third and fourth seemed to be destined for them. But Russell contacted the wall after hitting the sausage car. Correction, sausage curb. Um, ultimately ending his race, albeit he was able to continue on for a while and didn't actually seem like it was um, 
it didn't actually seem like it was a suspension issue, but more so a, a brake overheating issue that caused his need to retire. But that ultimately caused a safety car while Hamilton was in second, being actually widening the gap to Alonso in third and potentially ruining Hamilton's chances at a second place finish because Alonso took him pretty quickly after restart. Uh, and as such, Mercedes lost five points of ground to Aston Martin this weekend. Um, and now plus just plus 13 Hamilton sitting fourth with 102 points. Meanwhile, Russell is a ways back in sixth at only 65 points splitting the uh, Ferrari drivers three behind signs and 11 up on the Claire. So close, close battle in the driver's championship there. I made the claim that maybe Hamilton could have held on to second. Do you think that was realistic this race or was an Alonzo pass an inevitability? I think when you look at the race pace in the third stint, even when Alonzo was managing, like he seemed to have just a slight edge. Um, and I think regardless of the timing of the, even if that safety car hadn't occurred, eventually he was going to get a tire advantage and the full race pace was going to play out. So I, I, I think it would have just prolonged the inevitable, uh, tough to lay that one on the, on the shoulders of Russell. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a close battle. I mean, good gosh. I lo- I mean, Lewis's start was incredible. I mean, he blew Alonzo off the line. Um, super impressive start. So, I mean, hats off to him. Um, yeah, George's, George's crash was not great. And obviously he knew it was not great. Uh, you know, running into the Wienermobile and putting in the wall, the, sa- the, sa- the sausage car. Uh Honestly, the most impressive thing for me of that whole thing, though, was that the rear suspension was still intact. <laughs> that was a, that was a f- miracle uh, that that car was able to continue. I was shocked by that, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like in previous iterations of the car, anything like that wouldn't have just been a broken rear suspension, but a gearbox change and five-place penalty. So, I mean, yeah, impressive, impressive uh, strength from the car there. All right, Aston Martin. Uh Alonzo qualified second, finished second, extremely consistent. Um, even at one point proclaiming that that he was pushing for a race win. Meanwhile, Stroll not making it into Q3, starting 13th and uh, recovering his drive to a meager 10th, 10th, I'm sorry, 9th and basically 10th up until the, the last moment of the race. Uh, taking an extra position off Botas at the line with uh, classically weak defense. Um, similar question, was a win ever a possibility for Alonzo or was that just gross optimism? What else is he supposed to say, man? I mean, come on. Like, I will, I'll give him this. I, I think that it's very, I don't know if it's likely, but it's certainly possible that by the end of the year, at some point, at some race, they will have Red Bull's race pace. I mean, on their current pace of development, like it wouldn't shock me if he can legitimately compete with Max, not over the course of like numerous races, but like show up at the right track on the right weekend and like maybe take it to him. Um, so, you know, maybe at some point this season, what he said will not be unrealistic. So both both Aston Martin as well as Mercedes. First off, they, bl- they brought upgrade Mercedes in particular in Monaco. And then Aston Martin recently difficult to gauge sort of outcomes with weather conditions, right? And so both teams looking like they are bringing big upgrades in Silverstone. How optimistic are you that 
post Silverstone and quickly on the heels of the summer break, we could have a, a closer battle for first place uh, on the race weekend. I, I, I don't expect to see anyone on Red Bull's race pace, Max's race pace in Silverstone. I still don't. Um, but maybe they stay in the pit window, you know, and, and if Perez is lost somewhere down the grid, that could make the race very interesting strategically. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to deny the fact that they seem to be creeping closer. I just clearly Red Bull is not going to stop going forward. So, um, we'll see. Yeah. But shaping up for a good constructor battle, Mercedes and Aston Martin here, just 13 points. Well, so it, yeah, it would, it, it would be if the chasm between Lance Stroll and George Russell as second drivers wasn't a mile. Uh, so I, I like Mercedes over the whole of the season in that one, if I'm totally honest. Um, but the dr- in, the driver battle between Alonzo and Hamilton is what I'm really here for. Um, well, and let, to that point, Aston Martin's only 32 points up on Ferrari. And so, I mean, we haven't really seen both Ferrari drivers being able to put together decent race weekends at the same time. And so, I mean, if Stroll is just, what, 10 points off, you know, a few points off every race from Ferrari, I mean, they are easily dropping back into fourth in the constructors potentially. So Uh, other than the Albon seventh finish, the Ferrari race pace was the most surprising part of the weekend for me. I did not see that coming in any way, shape or form at all. Uh, Not really sure anybody did. There didn't seem to be a lot of evidence out there in terms of upgrade rumors or any indication based on past performance that they would be taking a step forward. Uh, and they seem to have done so, but I, I will squarely put that in the category of, yeah, I'm going to need to see that a few more times, buddy. Uh, but well, you know, because the race, the, the weekend cat. certainly did not start out well, right? Signs in no. eighth in qualifying and the Leclerc in 11th. Meanwhile, signs getting bumped due to impeding Pierre Gasly, who had to, who ultimately went out in Q1 as a result. Uh, and then, you know, I think while while I thought at least in qualifying, though, the team was starting to sort of be a little bit more forceful with the drivers, right? By Leclerc saying, well, I think we should go to, to slicks faster. They kind of put their foot down and said, no, you need to stay out on inters in Q2 and you need to get a time on the board before we go to slicks, which, you know, watching his lap, he nearly spun out in turn two at the start of his lap. Then he couldn't put together a clean lap on those softs, which meant, he was going now into once it started to rain and that ultimately is why he didn't make it out of Q2. But then I think you had a view. So I thought, Oh, the strategy and the, the, the management of the team is going well, but it seems like they faltered a bit more in the race. What did you make of the pit wall and the overall Ferrari strategy this weekend? I mean, to me, like every blind mouse finds cheese from time to time. Like I, I still think that they're in a position where their pit wall is easily overridden by the drivers. And I just don't think that's ideal. Like I, every, every, um, pre pit window strategy team radio call is like a, it's like a debate, which is just like, just like, doesn't seem sustainable. Like some weeks it's going to work out for you like this one, but it, it just, you know, you're going to have a lower batting average just inevitably. So I fully expect them to have, plenty more gaffes from here on out for the rest of the year on that basis alone. Um, yeah, they were more definitive in qualifying, but they were definitively wrong. Uh, so 
you know, like, I don't know what's worse. Yeah, it still seems like they do not have any kind of like strategy decision tree of like, if this scenario, then why? It's it's a collaborative up until the last moment that they need to make the call still. So they, they had a hint of a hint of quality and decisiveness, but not quite enough. But that being said, it was their best weekend of the year so far. So something had to had to work out right. Uh, we'll just see if it continues now. All right. Well, with that, Alpine, um, Ocon, looking the better of the two drivers at the moment, qualified six. Meanwhile, Gasly in 17th, albeit due to signs impeding in the final chicane. The team said Gasly very well should have made it into Q2, potentially, you know, a similar sixth place qualifying position as Ocon. So whether it be driver performance or a bit of bad luck, Gasly has been uh, on the wrong end of the stick most of the races this year. The team ended up finishing eighth and 12th. And as we mentioned before, shockingly, Ocon stuck behind the stellar defense of Albon for pretty much the entire second half of the race. I think most interestingly with Albon, it wasn't just his straight line speed, but the team seems to have unlocked a little bit more pace through the corners as well. And he was able to kind of maintain the gap, um, but then still hold off on the straightaways as well. Um, given the, the signs impeding of Gasly really only dropping three places. Meanwhile, Gasly is a net 11 to his teammate in qualifying you think the penalties for impeding should be harsher? What about when you see things like repeat offenders? I mean, I think Sainz was criticized for this in practice as well for impeding. Um, are they doing enough to crack down on this? I mean, do they not? Is there not any points uh, put on their super license from things like impeding, or are there only other like certain infractions that that applies to? It hasn't seemed like it. No, I mean, you see it more for like track yeah. limits, pit lane speeding, but. It's, it would be surprising if not. That seems almost like the the exact kind of thing you would. I mean, I it, look, I do think that there it would be fine for there to be uh, it to be more punitive for repeat offenders. But if you're going to do that, you just have to be really, really certain that you have consistent enforcement. You know, otherwise, like accumulating more punitive penalties could get really, really un- inequitable. So, uh, and I'm just not convinced that the FIA has consistent enough enforcement to think that that's a good idea. So, um, yeah, that's my general view. Yeah, I mean, no penalty points awarded for the incidents of impeding this weekend. I mean, I'm not sure if they have it other times, and and that's just inconsistency. But no, yeah, no but, at least not for this. But this does seem almost more when you, like this would be more relevant because you're on track than like speeding in the pit lane or other things like even track limits, right? Like, fine give them a time penalty or a grid penalty, but why is that giving license points versus something that is really a, a serious um, both performance and safety concern? Yeah, I guess the pro. I mean, in with the benefit of hindsight, Signs really did wreck Gasly's weekend because he was out of position and therefore stuck in the DRS train and never actually able to like show the car's performance. Um but there's just no way to fully indemnify an impeded driver at the wrong time in qualifying. Like, there's just no way to do that. So, I don't know. It kind of is one of those problems in F1 that maybe doesn't have a, a great answer at the end of the day. Yeah, and I may be wrong. And I don't know that actually license points are awarded for track limits, so that, that's probably incorrect as well. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things that you kind of always 
you're worse anytime you you get pet you know the you suffer the consequences rather than the the punitive penalty so but yeah definitely definitely extreme for them and then i guess overall when we think about the the stewards overall decisions there was plenty of calls in terms of impeding that they they made their presence known on the other side i think they did a they let a lot of things go similar to the last race weekend where they're pretty lenient in terms of things that didn't get called or didn't stop the race namely um you know pit li- or being sort of led off into the path of other cars right during pitting so hamilton on alonzo and what was it norris on on albon and lastly Norris complained about the rear wing of Ocon, which did look awfully precarious, but he was allowed to stay out. Do you think that was the right call? And, and man, how far away from that thing was that thing from falling off? Dude, they have cried foul and called black and yellows on far smaller pieces of carbon, black and orange. It's not a (laughs) a hip hop song. Uh, oh, Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, was that a Wiz Khalifa song? <laughs> God dang. Wow, what's he up to these days? Wiz, I hope you're well, if you're listening. Uh, uh, they have. He's actually going to wave the next checkered flag at the uh, Las Vegas GP. Oh, yeah, right next to Serena Williams. Uh, I, um, I'm sure they're friends. I, uh, They have waved black and orange flags for smaller bits of carbon flapping around on front wings. So for the whole rear wing to be like literally tilting like 20 degrees in each direction. I mean, it was severe. I mean, like, yeah, you don't see cars do that. I I would have like, that's one of those where I like some drivers cry foul at little things like that. Cause they're trying to get an edge and have the FIA like knock. But like, if I'm Norris, like I actually don't fault him for having a legitimate safety concern about trailing a car that looked like that. Yeah. That was um, pretty significant movement. And I mean, do you think that that yeah. was while we, while we criticize Ocon's ability to pass Albon in a Williams, I mean, you have to think that that diminished the performance to some degree when you think about how sensitive, you know, the teams make out all of the the airflow around these cars like that. That could not have helped high, you know, top end performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't see that Alpine said anything about it, though, after the fact, like. You know, like usually if there was something happening during a race that affected a driver's relative performance, the team will come out and say something afterwards because they're like, oh, look how good our driver did. And they would have done even better if they hadn't had this thing happen. Like Red Bull showed a picture of the bird that was stuck in the fucking brake duct. And I'm sure that if they had been beaten by Alonzo, they'd have been like, oh, yeah, we could have had another tenth a lap if this, you know, fucking swallow. Part of me thinks they just didn't want to our- draw any more attention to it. They're like, all right, we did OK. Like, just don't talk about. Yeah, the that's, way, that's fair. Know? If they actually knew it was something was fishy. Um I don't know. It it certainly looks suspect to me. So, well, with that being said, um, moving to McLaren, uh, overall really positive weekend for for both of their drivers. I mean, they qualified. What Norris was was seventh um, in qualifying. Piastri ninth, and then um, while well, although Piastri sort of crashed in in qualifying, finished eleventh and thirteenth only really because Norris got a penalty um, due to driving slowly during the the safety car, trying to get ready for a a double stack. Um, I guess from a steward standpoint, do you think like that was a fair decision given the fact that doesn't really get called in other races and arguably even others during this race drove more slowly heading into the pit lane, a la signs two cars behind, or I guess 
yeah, two positions behind Leclerc doing a, a similar sort of pit maneuver? Or was that overly punitive? I I don't know that it's on a like objective basis it for an individual infraction that the it's overly punitive, but it's definitely inconsistent. You know, and it's just like inconsistency is the thing we ultimately want to fight against the most. And so I believe Lando when he sits there and says like, well, then they should have been penalizing everybody for God knows how long for this exact same thing. Like, I believe him. Um, It's kind of one of those things where it's just like FIA, like, why did you decide to wake up now and like decide this was a thing? And also like calling something unsportsmanlike conduct, especially for like Americans who are used to like football. And unsportsmanlike like, like penalties, it, it was kind of one of those where it's like you kind of made a double take when you saw how they worded the penalty. You're like, what the like, what like what is what are you even talking yeah, about? It wasn't right like, like he gave him like he, a did pile. Did he flick dri- him off? He did like, like a pile driver after the whistle. Yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, like I'll never forget what time Clemson was playing this uh, this team in the ACC, and there was this infamously horrible ref in the ACC named Ron Cherry. And he was always good for a couple just like real head scratchers every single game he refed. And one time he literally like came out after like a it was an unsportsmanlike penalty, but he came out and he was like he called the the jersey numbers and he was like fifteen yards, giving him the business was like how <laughs> and everybody was like, what page of the rule book is he tearing this out of? Like I like what? Like I, I had a bit of a I immediately thought of that once I saw the the unsportsmanlike line. So. Uh, Man, I bet Ron did not expect to be getting put on blast uh, on this episode. I guarantee you, he's not listening. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was. It was. It's one of those where it's like, no, on a local level, is it punitive? No, it's inconsistent. Therefore, it's annoying. It's like me parking in an illegal spot that I know is illegal, but that people always park in, and all of a sudden, the Philly parking police just decide to show up on my block two days a year. And they're like, here you go, buddy. Here's $55. Thanks for being a tax-paying citizen, you asshole. It's like, okay. Like, yeah, not great. Well, and while we touched on Piastri's performances as arguably or maybe definitively at this point, the the best rookie driver on the grid, do you think Norris is the the best driver not in a top team at the moment? I mean, what's the alternative? Who's he competing against? I think Albon's starting to make a pretty good case. I mean, especially uh, as as please. terrible as you think of that that car is, quality qualifying performances, getting in the points. He's got to do it for longer, but I I don't think he can touch Norris in terms of his race craft. Um, when he's put in the position to do, you know, to to get points, significant, you know, race wins, he executes. Like, Driving in the rain. Nor yeah, rain driving, rain qualifying. He's Norris is the full package, man. He's really effing good, um, and I think is recognized by his peers on the grid as a very good driver um, and somebody who deserves better. So, well, only a matter of time. All right, Haas Hulkenberg qualifying P two, another shock qualifying from the American team, but unfortunately speeding under the red flag and unfortunately not even being aware that he was speeding. I mean, you want to talk about confusing driver radios. That one had to take the cakes this weekend, just the back and forth of like, am I driving too fast or too slow? No idea. Um, ultimately dropping him back to fifth. Meanwhile, Magnuson pretty MIA all weekend, albeit his, his battle with DeVries, which, surprisingly 
not his doing. Um, and, and more so driven by DeVries and, and getting the worst of it. Question for both drivers. One, for Hulkenberg, is he being enough is he being given enough credit for his performances so far this season? And I guess they're largely qualifying performances slash trying to hang on um, with rapidly degrading tires for as long as he possibly can during the race. But is is he getting being given enough credit? Yes, he's certainly being given enough credit, which is very <laughs> little credit, but that's what he deserves. I, look, you know, you there's they don't award points in qualifying on normal weekends for a reason. Like he's sorry, and I'll get be honest with you, I'm getting tired of Haas's bullshit of of Hulkenberg throwing it up that high in the grid and then basically just like being a drain stopper for the rest of the grid during the race and nobody can get around him and we can't actually have a real race because everybody's trapped in a train. It's kind of pissed me off. I'm sick of Gunther's little shtick. I'm I'm tired of him. He's writing a book. What is that bullshit? Hope nobody buys it. Like I, I like I'm just I'm tired of this team a little bit. Like it's just same song and dance every single week. They're not offering me anything new. They're predictably bad and disappointing. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a bit bored and over them. If I'm totally honest, you're right. They are kind of being an excessive like wrench in the system, given their their sh- yeah. consistently like shocking qualifying performances. So yeah, if if they could start maybe a few more places down the grid, it might do do everybody a bit of a favor. I'm totally fine with people creating DRS trains late in races when they're fighting for points positions, like what Albon did, like as a race strategy, right? Like if you're betting on track position being more valuable than relative race pace, great. But in in the first stint, come on, man. Like, <laughs> like nobody wants to see DRS trains in the first stint of a race. Like, no. Like, ugh. All right, so Mag- Hulkenberg's meager credit is sufficient. Uh, let's turn to Magnuson then. After the race, he, he had some reactions, I guess, being asked about the incident with DeVries. And, and basically, the, the long and short of it was Magnuson saying, Look, who am I to who am I to complain? And and I think in the article, the different articles I read, you know, they were characterizing it as well. You know, DeVries was was racing pretty tough, and you know, Magnuson's a pretty aggressive racer as well. I read it a little bit different as I've fucked up plenty of times and run into yeah. plenty of people. So who am I to complain if somebody runs uh, into me every once in a while? But what was yeah. your what was your reaction no, it, to Magnuson's it, comments? It was totally I've got enough blood on my hands uh, myself <laughs> moment uh, for sure. I I read it the exact same way as you. And honestly, like given that, I was kind of surprised by his humility. Didn't seem very K-Mag-esque, but I guess, you know, this is the whole like have a kid, gain some perspective persona, uh, which is tr- transcendent of all sports, it seems. Uh, so, so yeah, I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. I appreciated his, uh, his candor <laughs> and his, and his humility <laughs> in that. Yeah. Well, it would have been like, well, it, hey, it, it would be like Gasly, you know, complaining and screaming on the radio for being impeded no less than two weeks after impeding people himself twice in one qualifying session. So, you know, like, I'm glad he's got the self-awareness to realize when he could be at risk of being a hypocrite. Uh, other drivers don't have such things, so. Well, we'll touch on DeVries. Specifically French drivers. Well, and we'll we'll touch on uh, DeVries more in a moment. But overall, I mean, AlphaTauri kind of kind of in the middle of nowhere. Sonoda qualified 14th, not or 16th, I'm sorry. Not even close to getting into to Q2 uh, behind Valtteri Botas by four tenths of a second. Um, and and 
recovered a couple of places throughout the race up to 14th, but really DeVries was the, was the headline, this race, uh, qualifying 18th and then having this tussle with, with Magnuson, basically ultimately forcing both drivers kind of off the, off the track at one point finishing last just in front of Russell and, and Sargent who were both DNF this race. Um, when you think about DeVries and where he stands overall, I mean, is he the worst rookie on the grid currently? And, and yes. how much longer is he going to last? Not long. <laughs> the whole season or, or is he a summer no, break? No, is he a summer no, break I, candidate? Look, I had this revelation, uh, the other, other day about Alpha Tauri, which was, you know, they're going to remain under Red Bull ownership. So they don't play any role on the grid outside of driver development. And dude, if that's the case, DeVries' goose is cooked because there's nothing even invested in him. And they've got some hungry F2 guys that are showing some signs of class. That's like, why would you not give him a shot? But then I would further extend that to like, if you don't have a need on the front team right now, you don't think you will in the next year. And Sonoda's not flashing. Why are you keeping him either? Like, why don't you roll the dice on a new crop of talent and see what you get? Like, I guess my general view is why would your disposition not, unless you have a guy like Pierre Gasly, who's like a developed mid-tier driver that just doesn't have a seat and you just want to hold on to him. What is your incentive to hold on to mediocre and sub-mediocre drivers on that team for, for longer than two years? I mean, I guess Sonoda's, like, I guess Sonoda's shown at least more flashes, right? Start of season consistently 10th and 11th, which you wouldn't have really expected the, the car to be up there when you think about, you know, easily top five teams ending at Alpine, right? But agreed on the DeVries point. I mean, I wonder, is that more of the the next spot where, you know, if you're not talking about Perez really being a candidate for replacement this season, is that potentially a better seat for Ricardo? I mean, does he jump in AlphaTauri? That doesn't really check his box of being a top tier drive, but it yeah, is a drive. I, mean, he could, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he changed his tune on that. Um yeah, I could see it as a possibility. I, I just I don't see any. DeVries has not done a single thing to deserve a seat beyond the summer break, and I mean, good God, even the micro opportunities he's had to show racecraft, even in his relative grid position, he's just completely bungling. I mean, his moves on Magnuson were just like were criminal. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't even have like a snowball's chance in hell of working. I mean, it was like not there was no window. It's not even close. Well, especially just, like, when you compare that. Bang. Especially when you compare that to like the touch that Piastri had on numerous passes yeah. throughout the weekend. You're like, wow, he's really like feathering the brake pedal, like yeah. deep into the corner. DeVries is just like, fuck it, I'm gonna push him off here. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think we've seen all we need to see. And I, you know what? Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but uh, I'm thinking he probably won't. Yeah, I mean, I I I feel a bit stupid because I had him pegged for much brighter things. Um, yeah, me too. This season, and and he's definitely disappointed. So, well, somebody who is not disappointing as uh is Mister Alexander Albon. I mean, whoa, driver of the day, points finish, great defense against you know pretty universally acknowledged a better car. Um. And getting huge points. I mean, now putting him up into what, because of that performance, seven points now up into 12th, sitting right behind um, Norris and ahead of Hulkenberg. So in the, in the driver's championship and 
helping Williams move well clear of Alphatari and now just one point behind Haas, two points behind Alfa Romeo, 10 points behind McLaren. So, I mean, a big boon for them this weekend. Um, we've already touched on it a little bit, but seems like he's making a pretty good case for, for a Red Bull seat. Meanwhile, is this a pretty bad reflection on, on Sargent in terms of the, the relative gap or is Albon just crushing it at this point? And, and Sargent's kind of doing what you would expect. Well, before we, before we touch on Sargent, can I ask, is it possible that Williams finishes fifth in the constructors this year? Fifth in the constructors. I mean, all they got to do is beat McLaren, but that's well, that would put him in sixth. Not, Otherwise, oh, they got to beat Alpine. Oh, so, but sixth? Oh yeah, do you think they? Sixth? Yeah. Is it possible that they get to sixth? I mean, it's ten points. So, I, I think the I think the hardest thing is McLaren's obviously shown a little bit more pace, and seemingly their driver Better lineup driver. has much more yeah. parity. And so, Albon can do a lot, but when you're fighting for one to two points per race. I mean, he has to have five plus races where he's in the points and both McLarens are not. So, I mean, look, it, it happened this weekend. So, I mean, why not? But um, really only happened because of Norris's penalties as well. So, I mean, things that really have to fall right for them. I think the development trajectory has to be really positive. I don't see Sargent being a factor. And so, it's just a tough, like we've said for numerous other teams, it's a tough battle. I, I think at this point they are looking very strong for seventh ahead of Alpha and Haas. Um, but at this point, no, it's not out of the question. Yeah. I, I um, back to your original question on Sargent. I, I don't think we're in a scenario where he's going to get sent back in, in the middle of the season. But yeah, I mean, on this general trajectory, I his chances of not making it to next season are pretty decent. I, I, it's hard to judge him based on this weekend. I mean, his qualifying performance wasn't great. It was a rain qualifying rookie driver. That's a tough ask. Um, and then his car never really gave him a chance in the race. Um, cause I mean, yeah, he was out on lap six. So, I mean, but still, even when his qualifying has been back there, I mean, he hasn't really made much progress through the grid. So it seems like with the Williams, you got to get the job done in qualifying a little bit similar to Haas. Um, but at least it seems like they have a bit more endurance in the race, not quite as terrible tire degradation, but yeah. And if, if Sargent's not getting Q ones, but again, it took, it took Albon a bit to be getting Q one in a Williams as well. So we'll see how he, how he grows through the end of the season. But I think with Sargent, at least he's not making like mistakes as obvious. Right. Just I mean, boneheaded. to be fair, he didn't race really. So, I mean, it's easy to not make mistakes when you're out on lap six, but maybe somebody should send that advice to Nick DeVries. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just start, start cutting the fuel on. I was going to say, yeah. just don't shift really redline that thing and, and blow the <laughs> engine and you'll look a lot better. Um, all right. Well with that, let's, um, I think that brings us to the end of the show in terms of the team by team reviews. Let's talk personal podium. I'll lead off. I mean, obviously Verstappen, almost a second and a half in qualifying, untouchable in the race. Next for me is Albon. And and then, you know, you corrected me in some of our pre-race discussion. I saw hints of Ferrari and some strategic maturity in qualifying. Still did not carry over to the race, but whatever happened, it was the best race they've had of the season both drivers finishing in good positions. So uh, that's my three. 
How about you? In my in my typical fashion of trying to be unpredictable at these personal podiums, uh, I'm going to go number one, <laughs> K-Mag, for his accident avoidance on the opening lap to not take Perez out, uh, which was nice to see. That could have been really bad for Perez. Uh, uh, what was number two? Albon, I'll overlap with you because that one's just too obvious. And then three, I've touched on it already, but the Mercedes engineers that designed that suspension uh wow i mean that was a t- absolute tank slapper as brundle likes to say and uh it is miraculous to me they could bolt a wheel back onto that thing and send it out so um hell of a hell of a hell of a job boys i was gonna say if you're looking for marketing opportunities as a mercedes that's it right there so for sure so, i mean the, the rim was destroyed like i it like no idea how that one of those wishbones didn't break no clue um but all right. How about uh, DNF of the week? What do you got? I mean, I have the Ferrari pit wall again, just because it's too obvious. Um, yeah, you know, their drivers are the reason why they extended the first stint primarily, um, which to me is just still absurd. I, they're like a one of one team on the grid in terms of they're not driving the strategy from the pit wall. Well, and in retrospect, just, it almost seems obvious that you would stay out to maintain track position given how early well, that safety car came, right? I mean, that was largely no, the but, the hard and Perez strategy. Yeah, but but generally, Ferrari started the race on a softer compound than most, right? We started and, with mediums along with a lot of the other teams, right? Except the people that were kind of severely out of position, like, like a Perez. Well, that's, that's true. Yeah, well... I guess they were farther down the grid than they should have expected, and that was a bit of their gamble they need to, to gain track, track position. Yeah. And so I yeah, don't but know. Maybe a it's car not that obvious, hasn't been good on a car has not been good on tire deck at any point in the season. So it's like to gamble on that is kind of bold. Yeah. Fair. And throwing caution to the wind, but I heck, it works. I mean, Canada's a low it's all um like deg under braking, right? None of it's like actual like lateral, like G loaded deg, so Maybe, maybe a different impact for them. Maybe it just suited me. Maybe it just suited them. Like, I don't know if they'll get away with that in Silverstone, like where the it's a completely different type of deck. It's all lateral, yeah. high G. Like, we, we maybe ought to just like pause and maybe think to ourselves, maybe this was a track fit performance for Ferrari. And maybe just everything fell right for, for and, them and, between Russell going out well, and Perez not being able to and, make more ground. And, and if this is a track fit, I would I would then bet on Austria also being a decent track fit for them. Fair. And let's we not forget, they had a great performance in Austria last year and put Max Verstappen in the rear view if it wasn't for, you know, Perez, or uh, Sainz's engine literally catching on fire and then rolling down the hill while it was on fire and the stewards were trying to stop it. Um, so I would actually bet on them to do quite well in Austria, but I think when you show up at Silverstone, I think Ferrari's going to be Silverstone, right Silverstone, Spa, they're going to struggle yeah, both of those. As, yeah, I think those are going to be high-deck circuits, and they're going to struggle again. Yeah. So, um, well, for me, before we'll jump to uh, to Austria in a moment, but DNF of the weeks for me, no surprise, Russell, DeVries, obvious reasons. So how about uh, as we look to Austria, any other prognostications beyond – an obvious max win, probably more so than any other track, and high or, uh, and potentially a positive race for for Ferrari. I actually like Austria a lot. It's the most beautiful track on the calendar. It's the closest thing to an F one oval that there is because it's just a bunch of right ninety degree turns. Uh, shortest lap, you know, I think right like a fast lap times like one hundred eight, one hundred seven. Like it's a very quick lap. 
Uh, so probably what, like a 75, 80 lap race, but it's not short on overtaking. So, um, tons of elevation change, generally an exciting race, uh, not a great rundown to turn one in Austria, but, uh, there's a great second straightaway. So it's one of those races where like, you may not get a guy off the line, but you can set, you can sometimes set him up for a, for a, for a pass down the back straight. Um, you know, I think in general, my view is, I, th- I stand by. I think Ferrari will. Pr- I think Ferrari probably has somebody on the podium. Um, I, I'm not going to bet against Max to win unless he has a DNF. And then I think that the remainder gets battled out between. You know what? Maybe I'll throw some shine to George Russell. I think George Russell maybe beats Hamilton and then Alonzo's in his typical position. So. But you're thinking uh, Ferrari Alonzo on the podium? Or you think Russell you think Russell jumps the. Uh, jumps I'm going to say Verstappen. Russell signs podium. Ooh. To be yeah. fair, right? It was Austria last year where signs had the fire, right? So yes, and was running very well. So all right, yeah. all right, yep. I love it. Well, we will see you in what two weeks? Yeah, awesome. Well, sounds good, man. See you then. Oh, always a pleasure, buddy. Likewise, peace. Ooh.